You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Um, man, it's good to be here today. Um, yeah, as John says, this is likely one of the last times I'll uh, speak to the church. So uh, I'm sure many of you are feeling uh, a number of emotions uh, as we've been through this process the last couple of weeks, and uh, I've been going through a lot of different emotions as well. And so uh, I've grieved, I am grieving, uh, I'm excited, uh, I'm confused, and uh, more than ever, I'm just trying to follow where the Lord see, uh, t- seems to be leading uh, me and leading the church. And so... Um, I'm excited to to preach today, and I can't think of a better text to be anchored in than Colossians 1, 15 to 23, which really is just one of the central uh, scriptures on who Jesus is and why it's so important. And so um, I'm looking forward to opening this up. In particular, uh, verse 17 uh, is a verse that the Lord has put on my heart um, time and time again over the years, and it reads, that in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. So I don't know if you've ever felt like it's all up to you, like you're holding everything together, but that's been a theme throughout my life where I felt like Spider-Man trying to hold like everything together. And the Lord's brought this verse into my heart and said, no, all things do not hold together in Justin. They hold together in Christ. And that was a word for me that I've just come back to time and time again, even in this transition, that is not up to me but Christ is holding the church together and Christ has a plan. So this is a good text um, for me personally and I think for us as a church. When I was at alongside over the summer on sabbatical, uh, we had a a session there that was called Parting Well. And this was towards the end and we'd all, you know, 20 of us had been together in this retreat program for three weeks. So we got to know each other and we were coming to the time where we're going to have to transition and say goodbye to our friends. And I was listening to this um, teaching that they were doing and it really impacted me because I sat there and I thought about all the transitions we've had as a church over the last seven years and how many of them, in my opinion, I wouldn't put as parting well. We had some sudden departures and some, I think, some shocks to the church. And so when we got back, when my wife and I got back from sabbatical and uh, in in, uh, August, and it was just clear to me that the Lord was leading me in a a different direction. Uh, Again, not not what I was thinking would happen on sabbatical, but uh, the Lord, I think, directed me. And so we came back, and uh, my wife and I, we were just committed to parting well or transitioning well, whatever that was going to look like, and however long that was going to take, and we didn't know. So we made a commitment to, to be here and to be a part of this church family as we looked at really now the last four months and to see what, what is God going to do and to do everything we can to help the church succeed. And so um, I'm glad to, to get to go through this process with us as a church, as a family, and to celebrate and to remember in the coming weeks. Uh, And what I want to do today really is uh, hopefully encourage you um, and point us to the living hope that we have in Christ. And so I'm going to pray for us, 
And then we're going to look at this text. And I want to just kind of walk through this text with you and make some observations. Uh, and then uh, after that, I want to really connect it to this text. I was praying this week, and I, and I was saying, God, what do you want me to say to the church? <laughs> what do you want me to say uh, this week? And I felt like you gave me three things to share. And so we'll, we'll talk about those after we look at the text. That was my water. So let me pray for us, and then we'll open the Bible to Colossians 1, 15 to 23. So, Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here with us. And, Lord, we thank you that you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. And so we gather today as your church, filled with your Spirit, on your mission, worshiping the one Lord and one faith as one body with our one hope, Jesus Christ. And we give you this time today, and I ask you to continue to stir our affections for you, and that we would be encouraged, and we would walk out of here looking for what you have next for each of us. So we give you this time, and we pray this all in your name, Jesus, and by your Spirit. Amen. Well, if we look at Colossians 1.15 to 23, it's really broken into three sections. The first two verses are about the supremacy of Christ in the created order, in all creation. And the verses 18 to 20 are about the supremacy of Christ in the new creation. And then verses 21 to 23 are about our response to this wonderful and beautiful truth. So let's look at uh, this verse, and many believe that this section was an early hymn of the church. And um, as we jump into uh, verse 15, let's back up two verses. Do we have verse 13 and 14 there? Because this is what Paul has just said. So he's opened the letter. He's, uh, he's been praying and rejoicing at the fruit that's bearing, what God has been doing in the Colossian church. Uh, and then he's praying uh, last time for them to be able to just experience God and, and continue to walk that out. And he ends on this statement. He, Jesus, has delivered us, or God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so that's just, I just want to always point out that we are in a spiritual war. And when we came to Jesus, we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that changes everything for us. So it's that basis now that Paul continues on in his fashion to just to go on this thought trail. Let me tell you about Jesus, this beloved son, he says. So look at verse 15 to 17. He, this Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So let's just look at a couple of these words. What is Paul saying? Because I think we can come to the word and we can just kind of read it and it can have no effect on us. And sometimes it's really helpful, especially in your personal devotional time reading, to really slow down and think about what does this word mean? What is he saying? Let's think about this. So this first word, image, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So if we pause and think about that, Jesus makes the invisible, transcendent, all-powerful God, he makes that invisible God visible to us. He is the image of the invisible God. A couple other places that we read this, Hebrews 1.3, talking of Jesus as he is the radiance of the glory of God, and get this, the exact imprint of his nature. 
Or John 14, when Jesus is giving his last teaching to his disciples, and he's saying, I am the way to the Father. And Philip says, oh, the Father, show us the Father, Jesus, and it'll be enough. And Jesus says, Philip, how can you say to me, show me the Father? Don't you know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? That's an incredible statement. Jesus walked the earth and he showed us what God is like perfectly in his character, in his attributes, in his relationships, and above all, his love. That's an amazing statement. So much of uh, where we get our Christology, our theology theology of Jesus comes from texts like this. He is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. And he goes on, the firstborn of all creation. That word there is protokos, and um, it means that he was before all things. It doesn't mean he was the first thing created. It means he was the creator. He was there in the beginning, and he created all things. He was the firstborn of all creation. Paul elaborates for, every time you see the word for, That's explaining. Here's why I say that. For by him, all things were created. Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth. Okay, there's two realms, the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. Okay, the visible, corresponding with the visible and the invisible. The visible would be the natural. The invisible would be the supernatural. He elaborates whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So what is he saying? This language of thrones, uh, rulers, dominions, and authorities, this means earthly structures. This can mean earthly structures, kings, and so forth, authorities. But it also more so means the supernatural forces in the world. In fact, some commentators believe that this was a way to, uh, to talk about the hierarchy of angels uh, from the, for the Jewish scribes would do. You have these different categories, different levels of authority. So Paul's saying that Jesus is above over everything you see and everything you don't see. He is high above even the angelic supernatural beings. All things created through him and for him. And he is before all things, okay? And in him, again, all things hold together. What we see here, what Paul is saying is Jesus was beginning, Jesus is middle, and Jesus is end. And this is what we see in the Bible, right? There, Jesus was in the beginning, creating all things by the word of his power, the word of God. And then in the end, when the new heavens and the new Jerusalem come down, there's Jesus in the middle, emanating his light and love. And everything in between, Jesus is holding together. Okay? Jesus is over all. So these are massive statements that Paul is saying about the man, Jesus Christ, who is God. So he is the he is preeminent, preeminent in creation. Now he's preeminent in the new creation. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Okay, the first time we start seeing this language of the church is post-resurrection. It's the New Testament. He is the beginning, the firstborn. There's our same word, protokos, from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So not only is Jesus the preeminent in creation, but he's preeminent in the new creation. It came through him and by him through his death and resurrection. That in everything, here's God's whole purpose for everything. That he, that God, that Christ might be preeminent. That is a priority. That is most important. That is the thing that we worship most, that we go to most. That Christ would be first in your life. That he would be your first response, not your last resort. Christ 
is preeminent, most important priority. That is what God is doing in your life right now. I guarantee it. He wants to be more preeminent because that's what we were made for, to worship Jesus. So he's going to explain it. Four, let me tell you why. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, the incarnation. Jesus was God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And there we see the cross as the center of human history. It all comes down to the cross. And I love this word. You don't see this in English. This word reconcile in the Greek, it means to thoroughly reconcile, to take it all the way, to leave no doubt. It's a compound word in Greek. And so God's plan was to thoroughly reconcile all things to himself by the blood of the cross, making peace with God because it was sin, it was our sin that separated us from God in the creation. And so Jesus comes to die for our sin, to atone for our sin, to forgive our sin, and to reconcile us back to God and make us a new creation that now can dwell with God forever and ever. That is the gospel. That is good news. That's why we're here together worshiping him. It's why we exist, that Christ would become preeminent, focused and centered on the cross. Now, I think that the way that God becomes preeminent in our life, often, for me anyways, comes through pain. Because I don't know if you're like me, guessing you are, I tend to just fall back on relying on myself. And when things are going good, I tend to forget God and think, this is going, I'm doing pretty good, I can do this. But God is not satisfied with that. He loves us too much. He wants to be preeminent in our heart. And so all of us, we put up these walls, we have these wounds that God has to break through so that his very presence and love can seep through every crevice of our soul, that he might be preeminent. And so often we need to be broken. That door, that wall needs to be broken through, often through pain, so God's love can flow into that. And we can experience him even more, and he might become more preeminent. Anybody had that experience with pain and suffering in your life? It, it actually brings you closer to God. It actually allows you to trust God more. It's actually a more powerful witness to the beauty of Christ. This is how he works in a broken world. It's not the only way he works, but it's the way he works. Paul says elsewhere, if you want to live a godly life, you want to be more like God, you will suffer. You will. God works through that pain that he might be more preeminent. So this is the God of the universe, the creator God. And here's the... I mean, he, he paints this just magnificent picture that, that I, I can't even capture with words. And then he takes this turn. And this is, this is like the incomprehensibility of the gospel. This creator being, this transcendent God, this mighty being, whoever, if we saw, we would just be, uh, uh, be horrified at ourselves. This God, he says, and you, he comes for you. He died on a cross for you because he loves you. And he wants to reconcile you in me. You were once alienated. You were hostile. You're doing evil. Now he has 
now he has again thoroughly reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Again, the incarnation, the atonement in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is Jesus's whole, whole game is to cleanse you with his blood so that he can what? Bring you before, into the presence of God the Father. Bl- blameless, holy, covered by Christ's blood and above reproach, which means no one can make an accusation against you. Doesn't that sound like good news? We long for that. We're covered by Christ's blood, yet we're also becoming more like him. And then Paul makes us uncomfortable because he goes on, if indeed you continue in the faith. You mean I have to do something? I thought that we were saved by grace. I'm a good Calvinist. Like, you know, I'm saved. I don't really need to do anything else, do I? You find these conditional statements all over the New Testament because we're called to partner with God. I say this often. It's just like a marriage. Your wedding day is not the end of your relationship. It's the beginning. It's the same when we come to Christ. That's not the end of our relationship. It's the beginning. Now we actually have to walk out that marriage. We've got to grow in likeness to him. So we have to continue in the faith that's entrusting him, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Anybody ever been shifted from the hope of the gospel? I got one person in the back says, yes. We have one honest person in here. That's great. I've often tried, tried to be shifted. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Remember when Jesus comes to Peter and said, hey, Satan has prayed that he might sift you, but I've prayed for you. Jesus prays for you. Right now, he's interceding in heaven. So how do we do that? How do we um, indeed continue in the faith? What does that actually look like? How do we remain stable and steadfast? So as I said, when I was praying this week, I said, God, what do you want to say? You know, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to the church? I think he gave me three things which uh, are pertinent to this text. So I'll just share what they are and then we'll talk about them. The first was to fear not, to not be afraid. The second is that God has not failed you. And the third is that you would follow me. That's uh, Jesus, not me. Follow Jesus. So let's look at this first one, fear not. So often I think fear takes preeminence in our life. I have been wrestling with fear to a whole new level in the last few months. I never knew how deep it went to the core of who I am. And we are not called to be a people that are led by fear. That is not freedom in the gospel. But it's so deep, isn't it? We're afraid. We're afraid that God won't come through. We're afraid that we'll fail. We're afraid what this means for our reputation. We're afraid about what that person will say. We're afraid we'll hurt that person. We're so afraid. I'm so afraid. I'm really talking about myself. I'm sure you guys are fine. I'm afraid. Fear becomes this driving force that affects the decisions we make. But you know, the most off-cited command in the Bible 
is to fear not. Why? Because God knows you. He knows we're fickle. But he won't do it for us. We have partner with him. Help me. Believe your word. Holy Spirit, grow that faith in me. And so Joshua 1.9, we'll look at, this is a text, um, this has just been one of the verses over the last year that I've just, I've just been meditating on, keep coming back to. And funny enough, about two years ago when I bought my third wedding ring after losing the first two, um, I, I, got, uh, I got a verse on here and it's Joshua 1.9 from two years ago. And so time and time again, I keep coming back to this because I just love this verse. I actually preached on this verse back in May. Um, but let's just look at it. It starts by saying, have I not commanded you? Now, of course, this is this guy talking to Joshua. Joshua's taking over from Moses. They're about to go into the promised land finally. I mean, enormous pressure. Joshua's like, I got to fill the, the, the shoes of Moses. How am I going to do that? I can't do that. God says, look, have I Have I not commanded you? I've commanded you. I've told you. Trust me. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Don't be a coward. Don't be discouraged. Don't be depressed. I've commanded you. And then four, why should we not be afraid and and dismayed? Well, the Lord your God, he's with you wherever you go. And this really sticks out to me now. Wherever you go, God will not forsake you wherever you go. Isn't that amazing? This great promise that he is always with us. He unpacks it in John 14 to 16. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. It says somewhere that the Father and the Son will come and make their home inside of you, their dwelling place. It's amazing language. God is with you. And so we don't have to be afraid. Jesus calls this abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine. It's working out that marriage relationship with God talking to him, spending time with him, being intimate with him, letting him talk to you, and being a community of believers. So the first, fear not. Guys, you don't have to be afraid. I don't know where you're at. I'm sure you're feeling things. You don't have to be afraid. Because number two, God has not failed you. Maybe, you, maybe you're mad with God about where we're at. I've wrestled with God. I said, God, I don't understand why you did it like this. I had a plan. We were going this way. And then you made things difficult. And then you changed things on me. Why did you do that? I do not understand to this day why God does what he does. But he does. But I've had to wrestle with this. He has not failed me. And he has not failed you even if it feels like that. If we look at Romans 9, 6, Paul's writing to the Romans in this whole part, he's trying to, try to help people understand what happened with Old Testament Israel and what happened with the, the church, the new people of God. 
Because Israel's like, well, what do you mean? How's God abandoned us? We're God's people. Yeah, clearly this is new entity. Here's what Paul says. It is not, it is not, it is not as though the word of God has failed. I love that. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And we're not going to go into all that, but here's the point. God's word has not failed. The Israelite people could not fathom that God would swing open the doors to his kingdom to the Gentiles. That was God's better plan. And we're all thankful for that. Amen? The Israelites, they couldn't understand that. God's word must have failed or Jesus is not the Messiah. God hasn't failed us. He hasn't failed you. He has a plan and it's better than you or I could have ever thought or even wished, even if it doesn't feel like it. So where does that leave us then? Follow me. This is always the call, right? Follow me. And I was brought to this scripture, Peter walking on the beach with Jesus at the end of the Gospel of John. And the, uh, the Apostle John is like somewhere behind them, kind of tagging along. It says, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Don't we do that? What about that guy? What about this church? What about that couple? You follow me. I believe that God is big enough to have a call on each of our lives. And I spent a lot of time in the last few years teaching and preaching and growing myself on how to hear from God and how to have the courage to follow where he seems to be leading, even if it's terrifying. And I hope that we are all growing in that so that when we hear God's call, we follow him fearlessly. Many of us are making decisions right now about what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Don't be afraid. God has not failed you. Hear him and follow him. Give it time. I know we want to know next week what's going to happen and what it's going to look like. But the Bible I read, God, God often takes years to get somewhere, right? How many times I've told the story of Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, follow me. And Abraham says, where are we going? God says, you'll know when you get there. I, didn't, I don't want to sign up for that. It says the same thing to Moses at the burning bush. Moses is arguing with God. I don't want to go do all that. That's, I just don't want to do it. It's what he finally says. But he does say, like, well, how do I know you'll be with me? And God says to Moses, you know, you'll know because you'll be right back here on this mountain with all my people worshiping me. In other words, you'll know when you get there. I don't like that. We don't like that. We're Americans. We're in control. God wants Christ to be preeminent. Not you. Not your sense of control. There's something better. There's a better way. That's what God is inviting us into. That's why he wants to be preeminent in our life. And so what do we do? What does this look like? What is our response to this great gospel message? I found a lot of comfort this week. God brought another verse 
to mind that I think is helpful. Jesus, on the eve of his crucifixion, we read this. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, with Christ and the gospel, there's always a resurrection after death. Amen? There's always a resurrection. So maybe you're wondering, what does this look like for me, Justin, and Elise, my family? What are we going to do? What are the next steps for us? And I can tell you, we honestly don't know. It probably looks like a season of not being in pastoral leadership, continuing to rest and heal and get clarity. But I will share with you what God has begun to do as some of, these, some of this new fruit that is coming from death. When I came back in August, I said, I felt like the Lord's told me three things. One, my primary gifting is this counseling and care. It's sitting with individuals in small groups. So I began to walk that out over the last four months. And God is beginning to bear fruit. And so I've called this endeavor the Becoming Whole Center, which is named after the Becoming Whole series preached in the fall of 2020, which was a series on transformation. And of all the series I've preached here, that was the series that most was an overflow of who I am and things I deeply care about. So God started to stir that in me. And so my passion has been to come alongside ministry leaders and pastors in particular and help to facilitate healing and wholeness so that they can have a greater impact. Hopefully that God would use the pain of my life, the things I've experienced in leadership, to bear fruit in others' lives because that's how he works. And so these are some of the new fruits I'm beginning to experience. And over the past four months, God has started to provide. About six or seven guys now that I'm seeing that are ministry leaders or pastors. Not all of them, but many of them. And I'm starting to see breakthroughs. And I get this vision of what if we had healthy pastors leading then to create healthy churches. All of a sudden, the ministry is multiplied. And I feel like that's the season God has led me into. And he's providing slowly. <laughs> Not as fast as I want, but God's doing something in that. And I will tell you that I feel so much life when I get to do that. It feels like a gifting. So God's using the pain to redeem and transform. So what about you? What will this new fruit that is born in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, what will that look like? I want us to believe that we're being sent out to multiply the blessing that we've experienced here over the last 14 years. Because we believe in the kingdom. We always have. And this church is a blessing. It's been a blessing. And it'll be a blessing wherever you go. So, I'll leave you with this exhortation to make 
Christ preeminent in your life. Your first priority, your first response. That is the call of this text. That is the call of God on your life. And that is my heart for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you for your goodness towards us, Lord, when we don't see it, when we don't believe it. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now as we move into a time of communion, as we continue to worship, as we celebrate our children, that we would just have a fresh wind of your Spirit, a supernatural peace, a shalom that overcomes us, and that we would worship you, and that you would be all the more preeminent in our life, in our hearts, and in the people we love. So we love you, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you for the blessing of one hope. We are not afraid. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.